Welcome to the Positive Productivity Podcast, Episode 510. The Positive Productivity Podcast was created to empower entrepreneurs to achieve and appreciate personal and professional success. I'm your host, Kim Sutton, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's episode. Welcome back to another episode of Positive Productivity. This is your host, Kim Sutton. Oh my gosh, I forgot my name for a second, but that's only because I'm so excited about today's guest, Kim Addis. I can't believe I forgot my name when the when your name, Kim, is also Kim. <laughs> oh, can you tell how excited I am to be talking to you today? Over the top. <laughs> yeah. Kim is the president and founder of Frame of Mind Coaching. And we covered a little, we chatted just for a couple of minutes in our pre-chat because I'm so excited just to dive in with all of you here with us. But Kim, I would love, well, again, to thank you for being here, but to hear a little bit of your journey and how you got to where you are today. Oh, boy. Okay. So let's go back. Uh, I used to own a software company. And we used to build simulation-based assessments, and the purpose of those assessments was to help companies make better hiring decisions. And so we tested you know, thousands upon thousands of people, and we discovered something very interesting in that testing because we collected all this data and we started to look at the data. And we noticed that it didn't matter what the career was or what the position was or what the background was of the individual, but there was one key performance indicator that topped all others. In other words, we could tell by this one data point who is going to be wildly successful in comparison to other people. We discovered that when a person had a higher degree of emotional resilience, they would exceed performance markers in comparison to other people. And so that was a very interesting finding for me because I thought when you look at the coaching world, we're not necessarily working in the area of emotional resilience. We're working in the area of goal attainment. Those aren't necessarily one and the same. Absolutely not. So, I mean, my personal story is that I ended up selling my shares and I got recruited after that to a coaching company. It was just kind of haphazard, accidental. And when I was there, I kind of saw how they did coaching and it was very accountability focused. Let's help you build a business plan and let's break that plan down into manageable components. And the coach's job was to hold the client accountable to those activities that would help them reach their goals. And while there are a lot of coaching programs out there and a lot of people buy those coaching programs, for me, it felt like something was off because I felt like, you know what, if I ask people what they need to do in order to reach their goals, they could probably create lots of business plans. And the issue isn't that they don't know what to do. It's that they're still not doing it. Kind of right. like weight loss. We know what to do. We don't do it. Mm -hmm. The question is, why not? What's going on here? And so after a lot of research and study and reflection on my past experience, I kind of realized that it's the way that people think that interferes with their ability to do what they know they need to do in order to reach their goals. So it's not the doing that's so important because the doing is secondary. It's more so the thinking that we need to examine and really line up with the action. So, you know, sure, I want to lose weight, but I'd rather eat a bag of chips so those two things kind of clash. And it's my thinking around that that causes me to take action that isn't aligned with the goal of losing weight. Does that make sense? Oh, absolute sense. I have so many questions right away for you. 
Okay, go. Okay. <laughs> Emotional resilience. How the heck do you measure that? So let's define it first, right? So yeah. what is emotional resilience? Emotional resilience, so and I'm going to even kind of top up the definition for a minute, but normally emotional resilience is the ability to bounce back from adversity with speed and agility. So ha- that's how we measure it. So you have something bad happen in your life, could be anything, death, divorce, illness, conflict, anything, something bad, you lose a job, something bad happens. And some people who get knocked down, stay down a long, long time. Mm -hmm. Other people take the blow and they, they experience the blow. It's not that they have no emotion, but they take the blow and then they get up and they move along. And so it's the speed of getting up that we're measuring. Now, those people who are high performers, not only do they get up quickly, but they leverage their adversity. They do something good with it. They turn it into an advantage. Mm. I absolutely love that. And you've got me thinking, I mean, that's how positive productivity came about. Because I burnt burnt myself out because I was not sleeping. I I was saying yes to everybody. And July of 2016 found me suicidal. I was so sleep deprived that I was ready to kill myself. Listeners, you need sleep. So I had my big aha. And rather than just staying in that suicidal state, like I popped up, changed things. And now I'm like, I will tell clients that if they haven't slept, we're ending this phone call now and you're going to go sleep and I'll talk to you next week. Wow. So go back. Can you just tell me a little bit more? Because I'm really interested. What caused you not to sleep to the point of such emotional wreckage that you wanted to commit suicide? I was so concerned about building my business. And I really I didn't know. My business at that point was all about income. It was not at all about impact. So I was chasing the next dollar. I was in 180 Facebook groups thinking that's where my next client was. But in all honesty, every client that I got out of a Facebook group was in scarcity mode and didn't have money to pay me. So I was constantly chasing them for the money that they owed. Or I was saying yes to every single prospect that came and I ended up getting overwhelmed with work I wasn't even enthusiastic about. I undercharged for my services. I had to take on team members to support me who were charging just as much as I was. So I was losing money in my business. So what were you doing at the time? Coaching? Infusionsoft services. And I'm still an Infusionsoft certified partner. But And I was an Infusionsoft certified partner at that time. But I was putting out proposals on Upwork. I just had to put it out there. And I was charging $50 an hour for for my time. Infusionsoft Mm -hmm. certified partners traditionally or pretty typically start at 150. So when I'm submitting a proposal at 50, you can imagine I started getting all these projects in. And after, oh, I had twins. I should also throw that out there. I had (laughs) twins in January of 2015. Uh So So do you think the suicidal part, okay, I get that you didn't sleep part now, but was it also hormonal reaction, like postpartum kind of concept? Actually, I would have to say no, because I have a rock star husband who was getting up. I can sleep through anything. That is okay. impossible to to deny. Like he can shake me for an hour when I sleep, fall asleep on the couch and I will just not wake up. So he was handling the kids, but I was in panic mode. Like, oh my gosh, I'm also a mom of five, Kim. So I had five kids and I was the primary breadwinner trying to build a business through scarcity mindset, shiny object syndrome and chronic idea disorder. So how did it all change? I was literally laying in bed one night trying to figure out if my ceiling fan would support my weight. 
and started praying. And this is one of those stories that if somebody had told it to me before it happened to me, I would have been like, yeah, right. You are making up this crock of, you know what? But I closed my eyes and I was praying. And long story short, I saw this bright white light and an angel wing came in front of my vision and wiped away all the monsters. And I fell into the best sleep ever. And next morning, I found an angel bell that my my son had given me for Christmas on my desk with a wing broken off. And right. I started having conversations with friends about what had happened. And they led me into all the right directions, including Brendan Burchard, High Performance Academy. I mean, he tells people to sleep. Mm-hmm. And to say no and to get their own priorities straight. And so I started doing that and I realized there is something here. Because up until then, I thought high performance was all, all about hustle and grind. Exactly what you were talking about earlier. You know your goals, now go do it. And I have to say I was doing a hundred things that maybe didn't even matter towards reaching my goals. Right. So you were doing a lot of a lot of things. A lot of a lot or of a things. Or little, a little of a lot of things. Exactly. A little of a lot of things. I was never getting anything done. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you're not uncommon. Oh, I know. It's scary how uncommon it is. And it's even scarier how many, more, how many people just don't talk about it. And they're still suffering in silence. That's right. That's right. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So I'm not saying that there's not nights when I, you know, last night I slept for five hours which is not what I would like the listeners to do. I mean, I know there's a small portion of the population who can get by on one to three hours of sleep every night. That's not the majority of us. Last night I slept for five hours. I'm wide awake. I've only had one cup of coffee and I'm still talking in triple speed. But most nights, like I have dedicated to myself that I go get into bed, read or journal and get a full night's sleep. I don't even wake up with an alarm. My phone may You're a journaler? Yes, I love journaling. Way to go. Yep. You're also the president and founder of Journal Engine Software, yeah? Yes. It's a yes. huge part of what we do. Oh, we need to dig into that, too. <laughs> See, that's why I'm so excited about this conversation, listeners. I mean, I feel like I hope that every single episode you are getting as much out of it as I am, because sometimes I feel like I'm really selfish hosting a podcast because I feel like I'm getting free coaching in every conversation that I have. Does well, let's go. Sense? Let's let's give yeah. you some free coaching. Oh, I didn't mean let's it like go. that. <laughs> No, no, let's do it. Let's do it. Yeah. I didn't mean, yeah, like, let's go. But oh, my gosh. Yeah, I'm just so excited. So emotional resilience. I have a question for you. Hold on. Hold on. on. I have a question for you. Uh And like, I'm kind of stepping into unknown territory right now, but I'm okay to do that. So you're a journaler. And let me kind of take a step back. What we do is we coach you know, the highly driven population, executives, entrepreneurs, those kinds of people. And we use the process of journaling to coach them. So we have a call with them once a week. And then in between their calls, they journal in this online, private online journal with their coach. So every time they journal, they send their journal to their coach who then reads and responds and digs and pursues in the journal. So you're a journaler. Maybe it's an offer I'm making if you're open to it. And if you really want coaching, we could do that for a week and then hop back onto a podcast and we can reveal the findings. That is so intriguing and also so scary. Can I just say that? It is a bit scary, but it's it's transformational. Mm -hmm. It's unbelievable. Let me tell you, the last time that anybody read my journal was my ex-husband without my permission. Well, here I would be getting your permission. Yeah, you would be getting my permission. Yeah. That's not good. Yeah, no, no. But I, I'm just happy that I didn't give up on it after that. So, you know? so he read your journal and then what happened? He discovered that you didn't like him very much. <laughs> oh. 
Well, in the spirit of total transparency, I had just this the sleep deprivation experience that I just shared with you was actually the second time that I've done this. I did it in my first business a decade ago. Okay. And I wound up in the mental hospital. Oh my goodness. For a week. And while I was in there, he contacted a divorce attorney and took all the money out of the bank account. Oh my so god. So I thought our marriage was over, which it did and a couple of years later. And some he he clearly didn't care that I was in the mental hospital while I was in there. Maybe that's just being generalizing too much. But when I got back to work after I got out, there was somebody at the office who expressed interest to me. I thought my marriage was over and I had an affair. Like, okay. I, I don't see the point in hiding any of it. And well, I journaled about it. <laughs> right. So he found it. Oh, but so often affairs are, are a lifeline. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I mean... Am I saying, or I am not at all saying that affairs are okay, but when you are in that deep, dark place, things happen and you just, we all need to find the healthy outlets. Personally, I don't think that affairs are the healthy outlet. Well, you know what? Health is a very interesting continuum, right? So if you're going from suicide to a safe place and the affair helps you get there, then it is a healthy choice, isn't it? True. Very true. Yeah. Different way to look at it, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Interesting. So, I am since remarried, and I have let my husband read. But again, it's permission. I guess it's contradictory to what I said earlier. I mean, there have been portions that he's read, but it's never—he's never been tempted. Well, maybe he's been tempted, but he's never told me. But I know that that respect is there. So I'm so intrigued. Like, what? If you don't mind me asking, what types of journaling are you looking for with with clients because i know that in my daily journaling practice i gratitude is a huge portion well yeah so to answer your question what i'm looking for is i'm trying to understand at the beginning i'm understand trying to understand a baseline how do people feel and what causes them to feel that way and really what is the story they tell of their experiences their current experiences, their past experiences, maybe their future experiences. But I'm really trying to understand how they think, what they believe to be true, because those are the things that truly drive their behaviors and ultimately their outcomes. So I'm trying to understand their patterns of thought, their patterns of belief, the way they behave and why they behave the way they do, because we behave in ways that reflect the way we see the world. And sometimes we behave in ways that help us reach our goals and experience the things we want to experience. And sometimes we think in ways and behave in ways that actually contradict the very thing we want, like those chips. Right. Right? Right. Wow. And I can see, even just talking to you, I can see the one of the patterns that I've done. I've fallen into scarcity mode on multiple occasions, but I've, I'm also drawn to help people sometimes more than I should and at a greater extent than I should. Like I'll hear of somebody who's struggling in their business and can't afford to pay a lot. I know the value of the services that I provide, but I'll accept like an eighth of what I should be charging. And then it comes Mm. back and bites me in the butt. Right. Always does. Yep. But I don't know if it's a fear of not being liked or a fear of where the next income is going to come in. And it's amazing. Every time I do that, I get slammed by other work that's paying the proper amount immediately after. Yeah. And then I can't provide the service that I was intending to the client that I hired because I felt bad and because I was scared. Right. So it's interesting, right? That the the work that you might do to clean that up is to really understand what causes you 
to fall into that pattern over and over again. And then the second part of it is to say, okay, so if that's not really working for me, how do I need to think in order to create a new model for myself? What do I need to believe to be true? How do I need to see myself? How do I need to see others? How do I need to see others who need help? Because when I feel bad for them and kind of step in, I'm not really actually serving them. And I'm certainly not serving myself because I'm mm. undervaluing my services. Right. Right. So how do I need to change my view of things in order to get more of what I want? Wow. Right. Wow. You got me thinking here, and it's dangerous to think when you're a podcast host because then you're not talking as much as you should be. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I apologize. No, you don't need to apologize at all. Wow. Because I can hear the listeners thinking too. Cause, because it's not just me. There are so many entrepreneurs. Until it's not just you. It's everybody. It's, it it's every human being mm. lives with a set of unconscious beliefs or thoughts, even rules that they're not even aware of. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and not being aware of them causes you to fall into these traps over and over and over again. Right. Yeah. Well, I have a, I don't want to call it a quiz. It is a, technically an application for team members who are joining my team. And one of the questions that I've asked them up till now is impact or income, because I'm always curious where they're, where they're coming from. But yep. now I'm wondering about how have you overcome a hard time in your life? Well, I, I want to go back. You're asking them a question, impact over income, and you're making them choose. Mm -hmm. And so in the question is your belief that you can't have both. Right. And that wanting both comes at a cost. Huh. I never intended it to mean that way. Well, in the formulation of your question, you're making it an either or. And in my world, it's both. There's no reason I can't have incredible impact. And I do and the team does, and what we do does. And in order for me to truly have a massive impact, I need to take care of my financial needs. Wow. So income matters too. And that's me valuing myself and the client. Yeah. So I would never ask that question. Huh. See, you're already, I don't even want to, I, there's a word there. but Challenging you got me, your thinking. Challenging my thinking and my processes in, in the best way. I just want to know that my team, when they come in, that they, yes, I want them to be taken care of financially, no doubt about it, but I want them to be aware that they're also making an impact on the clients that they're supporting. Sure. And so the question you want to know is really how their values are lined up and Mm -hmm. how their behaviors reflect their values. Right. And so rather than asking the question straight up, you know, impact or income, I would say, tell me about your history. Tell me about your experiences. Tell me a story or two or five about a time where you left a significant impact on another person. Mm. Tell me about that. Why? Because their experiences, their behavior will tell you, will reveal to you their values. So how did you and do you go about measuring emotional resilience? Again, it's it's about speed of recovery, right? Yep, so yep. is there a number? There's no number. There's a when I see someone suffering, okay, so let's say I'll give you a perfect example. You have a spouse, her a, a husband and a wife, the husband dies, 
the wife is left behind. Is there grieving that takes place? Yes, of course there is. Is there a loss? Yes. Is there a loss that lingers? Sure. But how a person recovers from that experience, and not that there's total recovery, but how they continue living tells a story of resilience. So you have, you know, I have a lot of people in that age range that I know of in my family. Some people, sure, they're still feeling that grief and their, that loss, but they continue living. And there are some people who don't. They completely shut down. Mm-hmm. They break down and they stay in that mode for years and years to come. Like their life has, they're still physically alive, right. but their spirit has died. Right. Oh, I've seen it in my family too. So there's no like number. Yeah, there's no number to say, oh, well, their emotional resilience is at a two and the other person's at a 10. There's no number, but you can, ex- when you see someone experiencing pain for a long period of time, that's an indicator that they're not recovering. They're not bouncing back. They're yeah. not continuing on with life in a healthy way. That's mm-hmm. it. Wow. You've got me thinking about so many people right now. What are some of the most amazing transformations that you've seen working with your clients? Would you be able to share any examples? Well, I'll, I'll give you a one story because it's a good one right now. So a few years back, three and a half years ago, I was introduced to a gentleman by an existing client. So it was a referral. And the referral was handed to me in an odd kind of way. And it kind of went like this. Hey, I want you to coach a friend of mine. He's a good friend of mine. But when you meet him, like, I really want you to treat him with kid gloves. And you can tell I'm a pretty direct person. So I found that comment kind of odd. I said, okay, well, why would you introduce him that way? Why do I need to treat him with kid gloves? He said, well, because he has stage four cancer. I said, okay, I understand. That makes sense. So I hopped onto the phone with this particular guy and I asked him two critical questions. The first question was, how long do you have left to live? Really tough question to ask anybody, but I asked. Yeah. And he said, I think about two years. I said, okay, what are you looking to achieve as a result of coaching? Like, how can I help you? What do you want to do? He said, well, he ran a financial services company. He said, I want you to help me increase my productivity. I thought that's very odd. Yeah. Right. A person who has two years left to live is focused on productivity. I said, well, explain to me why that is. He said, well, you know, I want to grow my company. I want to increase my revenue. I want to increase a profit margin and I want to leave a legacy behind for my family. And so I need to increase my productivity. You need to help me get more done in a day. I said, "Okay, but hold on a second. Tell me what you really, really want. He said, well, what I really, really want is I do want to leave a legacy behind for my family, but I want to do other things. I want more time. I want to run a marathon. I want to take my mother on a wild, crazy trip. I want to spend more time with the people I love. I want to have Thursday night dinners with a mastermind. I want to build a house or I want to buy a house and and build it up. I want to do things. I want to travel the world. I have things I want to do. I said, well, why don't we do that instead? And what we did was we put the pieces in place. We looked at his thinking specifically, how he thought about his business and how he thought about his businesses. He has to do all the work. He's the one who carries the work, the load on his shoulders. And so we started to work with that and started to find the right people who could replace his skill and talent while building up his profit margin. And so we put the right people in place so that he could have more time to do the things he needed to do, he wanted to do. So he did. He took his mom on a wild vacation. He ran a triathlon. He bought a house and renovated it from top to bottom. 
And, you know, he started to travel and, and spend more time with people he really cared about. And so rather than focusing on this concept of productivity, what I did was I tried to understand some of his drivers, his motivations, the things he really wanted to experience in his lifetime. Interestingly enough, three and a half years later, he still has stage four cancer, but he's still with us. Wow. Right? Wow. So, and really when we look at, you know, the way he is thinking about everything mm -hmm. and helping him on that level, things change. Right. Right. Wow. And by the way, in his case, he just sold his business. Oh, my so, gosh. Yeah. So oh, my gosh. I think it's a very cool story. I mean, we can come up with excuses. And I want to say, maybe you'll object with the word that I use, but excuses for why we're doing things all day. But so often we're not looking at the real why. Well, I'm not so interested in the why. You know, there's there's a lot of talk out there about what is your why. And I'm not so interested in what is your why. Because your why, my why, his why, her why, it's all the same thing. The reason we want anything is because we think it's going to make us feel good, have a better life, be more joyful, happy, whatever. Your why and my why are the same. The bigger question is what's your why not? What's really getting in the way? What's interfering with your ability to do what you need to do, be who you need to be, experience what you need to experience. What's getting in the way? What's your why not? You've got me asking myself that right now, because there's there are things on my list that I can't wait because I'm so excited about them to have done. But mm -hmm. committing the time to working on those instead of 5,000 other things that I can add to my list on any given day, it just, I mean... Listeners have been hearing about my book, Chronic Idea Disorder, for two years now, and it's still not done. Right. And so the question becomes, why not? Why and not? you'll say, well, because I'm spending time here and here and here and here. And if mm -hmm. we kind of dig a little deeper and dig below that, right. we'll find that there's some belief or a series of beliefs that are really deciding for you that that book isn't the priority. And that mm -hmm. could be okay. Yep. Or it could not be okay. Right? Yes. So how has your work personally impacted your life? Well, my work has impacted my life on a number of levels. Number one is I'm a big journaler and journaling helps me recalibrate. It helps me point myself in the right direction. It helps me decide what is important. It helps me kind of slay those why nots, right? So on that level. But on a whole other level, like two things have happened. Number one is I get to coach the most interesting and exciting people in the world. And sure, when I coach someone else, I'm impacting their lives, but the time I spend with these people impacts mine, right? So anytime you see someone transform and you had some role to play, your life is enriched, it's expanded. And so my life has been expanded over and over and over again just because of my interaction with my clients. But there's something else kind of interesting and magical as well that has taken place is that I teach people how to coach. I train them. I certify them in what we call the frame of mind coaching method. And usually what happens, well, in all cases, someone goes through frame of mind coaching. They go, wow, that was incredible. How do I become a coach? And then we say, well, here's an option for you. You can become certified. And the process of teaching someone else to coach and watching them suddenly become the coach is beyond magical. It's unbelievable. And so what I see is this ripple effect taking place. Mm -hmm. It's so humbling, right? It's incredible. It's amazing to be the seed 
that started this thing growing. So to me, that's remarkable. But add one more thing in. The other day, I have a son. He's 20. I have five kids, but one of them is 22 and he lives in Montreal and he has a girlfriend there. And it's a relatively new relationship. And she asked him a question. She said, what could I ever do that might upset you? He said, nothing. She's like, I don't understand. I don't believe that. I don't buy that. He said, I'm responsible for the way I feel. You can't do anything to make me upset because my emotions come from me. The only person that could upset me is me. And I never directly taught him that, right? But he learned it. And so what's interesting is she said, well, I don't like that. And he said, well, it's never going to change. That's how I grew up. And so to me, you know, when I see that coming out of my kids, my chest is puffed up. Yeah. I'm very, very proud. That's so I'm absolutely beautiful. Because what I see in my children is their own emotional resilience, their own strength, their own journey that they're taking on, and their own sense of responsibility for how their own lives unfold. And it's it's incredible. I was having difficulty with my 15-year-old a few months back. And some listeners may have heard this story before, but he was having attitude. He was having a bad mood. He was placing a lot of judgment on himself. So I actually had him read Think Better, Live Better by Joel Osteen. Yep. He's like, wow. And the effects only lasted a couple days. But I was like, when his attitude has gone back to stink, I've just said, think better, live better. Think better. I wish that frame of mind, mindset, positive thinking, more psychology was taught in schools for our kids. I know it has to start at home. And there's a great deficit there in homes throughout the world. Well, it's because and I'll, I'll tell you why I think that exists. It's Please. because parents are confused about the role that they play as a parent. Mm, yeah. So they believe, right, and it's really deeply entrenched. They believe that their role is to teach, discipline, guide their children. Right. And so when their children are off track, when they do have a bad attitude, they feel like it's their job to correct that, to rectify that problem, to, you know, punish if necessary, to direct, to have a talk, to teach. Right. And truly the job of a parent is not necessarily to do any of that, but to model self-personal responsibility, to model joy, to model happiness, to take responsibility for themselves, to not blame their children when things go wrong in their lives. And so to be a real true role model in the highest sense is the first job of a parent by taking full responsibility for their own selves. That's part A. Part B is to hand over the reins of guidance to their children and say, son, daughter, I trust you. I believe in you. If you need me, I'm here. Wow. But I trust that you'll make the right decisions. And I'll, I trust that even if you don't, you will recover. Yeah. And I will help you do so if you need me to. Hmm. You're making me think of a liquor cabinet. I mean, if it's all locked up all the time, and it's this big forbidden fruit for the kids not touch. Well, maybe this was just me as a kid. I was more tempted to touch. Right. But it was when it was left in the open... I wasn't as tempted. Exactly. 
I remember when my daughter was young, you know, uh, we used to make lunches together. I'd make the sandwich, she'd prepare the snacks. And every single day, I'd have the same conversation with her. Mom, how many cookies do you think I should take? And my answer every time was, how many cookies do you think you should take? That's uh, it. Yeah. I didn't need to control her cookie intake. Right. Right? I, right. Th- that's not my job. The job is to give her the reins of self-management mm-hmm. and help her work that out. And parents don't seem to get that. They think, no, kids can't manage themselves at that age. At that age, that, they can't control how many cookies they should eat. They'll make the wrong decision. Sure they will, if you believe they will. Yeah. Well, I think I remember a story from Tony Robbins at one point that he wanted to drink like his father. And so his mom gave him the whole six-pack or 12-pack, and then he got sick. But he, yeah. wanted, he wanted to experience it. And since then, he hasn't, he hasn't drunk or so I remember from the story. And it's just a really interesting concept to me. Sure, you yeah. want to try it? Here you go. But you may not like how it actually makes you feel. Right. Teach people to pay attention to the way they feel. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a good lesson. That's a good way to provide self-guidance. So if we are providing them self-guidance, I would love to know how you would feel about encouraging our own children to journal or is that something that they'd need to decide on their own then as well? No, you introduce it to them just Mm -hmm. like you would introduce anything. Here's dinner, right? Here's a carrot. Here's an artichoke. Here's peas. Here's try it all. Yeah. Try it all. Right. Yeah. You would introduce anything good. You might introduce the Beatles to your kids, right? You might introduce a good song, a good movie from your past, whatever it is, you would introduce anything good to your kids. Certainly journaling is one of those things. I've introduced journaling to my kids and I have five kids of the five kids, two of them journal all the time. Okay. I would love to know how you feel about electronic journaling versus pen and paper journaling because and that's my only other concern about about your system I'm just putting it out there because I feel so connected to my journal because I do it pen and paper sure and the answer is do what works for you Mm -hmm. right so the the benefit to doing it online in my case is that someone gets to read to your your journal and respond to it so that there's an interaction that takes place so imagine sharing your journal with someone you trust who can start to use your journal as a way to help you grow increase your levels of peace help you achieve your goals etc it's it's a magical experience but the truth is like what is journaling in a way journaling is a modality of meditation mm-hmm. so why because my brain works faster than my fingers can write or type right and so as i am journaling whether it's physically in a book or on a on a computer i am slowing down my brain right and that's exactly what meditation is it's creating empty spaces in your brain. And that's exactly why I love journaling. When I don't and I go to sleep without journaling, my brain is on overdrive. You've got me thinking now about the fact that I can type faster. And when I'm journaling, I'm thinking so much faster that I can get the words out. So I'm, Right. Yeah. And I type faster than I, than I write. But you, your mind still, your mind still works faster than your fingers. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. No arguments about that. Yeah. At all. Oh, I'm so intrigued. And I would definitely love to take you up on that and bring you back in a couple of weeks. And listeners, you're going to hear a lot. I have no doubt about it. The only reason I say a couple of weeks is just because I have to travel. I'm traveling for the next week. But um, it sounds absolutely amazing. And I'm wondering what's getting in my way. 
I mean, I have ideas. So you might take the concept of your book and ask yourself that very question. What's getting in the way? What's really going on here? Do I even truly want to write this book? Or am I just saying that? The thought that has popped into my mind when I've asked myself that in the past is actually a question that I've asked my husband. My husband is an independent video game developer. And I've seen him have brilliant ideas and then get started and then not finish. So I've asked him, what are you afraid of happening if you finish this? And then I've asked myself the same thing. And I think one of my greatest fears is that it it won't be accepted. Nobody's going to like it. Anybody else besides me? Mm. So I would love for you to journal about that. And I would love to work with you on that. We'll take one. You can write five, ten, whatever journals. We'll pick one. We'll hone in on it and we'll work with it. We'll share it with the audience and we'll work with it. Mm. Listeners, you've heard a lot from me. I'm always very transparent, but watch out. (laughs) I feel like this is about to get really deep. (laughs) What are you excited most about in the next 90 days, Kim? Well, to be honest, I just turned 50 on Friday. Congratulations and and happy birthday. Thank you. And so in a week and a half from today or so, I'm taking the whole family on a trip to New Orleans, all the kids and my husband and I. And so I'm super excited to spend time with them. They've all kind of dispersed. They're at the university and post-university ages. So Mm -hmm. I'm excited to have them all back together, just hanging out, eating meals, drinking drinks, whatever it is that we do, walking through the streets, listening to music. I'm really, really looking forward to that on a personal level. And then on a professional level, I've got a whole bunch of speaking engagements lined up from now until the end of uh, the year. And so I'm excited to go and share my time with those audiences and hear their stories and see if I could help them. That sounds absolutely amazing. And, and like my jaw's been dropped this whole conversation. I can just imagine how those audiences' jaws will be dropping as well. It's so much better in person. <laughs> I, I can only imagine. I mean, I can just see them all right now. Like if anybody was trying to have side chats in the conversation, I know they would just stop midstream. I mean, you, you just, I feel like you paralyzed my brain to think other thoughts. I know that doesn't make any sense, well, but I know I'll what I'm sh- trying to say. I'll share with you a story. It happened last week and I'm tooting my horn a bit, but whatever. I'll do it anyway. I was at a presentation last week for an organization called the Family Enterprise Exchange. And that organization is uh, an organization for family run businesses. It's, you know, I live in Canada, so it's a, a national organization. It's quite prestigious. And I was asked to speak at this event. And so there was the keynote speaker and then I had a uh, like a workshop. And so I, I went up, I did my thing. And at the end of the thing, the AV technician pulled me aside and he said, I listen to 500 presentations a year and usually I tune out. You kept me awake and you should be on stage longer. So I thought that that was a particularly good compliment coming from the AV technician. I thought it was awesome. That was uh, definitely the highlight of the day for me. That's amazing. That's amazing. I want to share with you, I'm turning 40 in the spring. Oh, happy birthday soon. Yeah, thank you. And actually... And sorry, I don't know why I thought to share this right after that, because it really is an amazing story. I can't even imagine being an AV technician and all the stuff that they have to sit through and don't want to. But (sighs) we're actually, I'm planning a family vacation as well. It's going to be the first family vacation with all five kids 
to go somewhere that's not seeing family besides ourselves. Right. And we're going to go to Disney for the first Amazing. time. Amazing. Yeah. Great. I, I'm so looking forward to that. But now. How old are your kids? Three year old twins, a five year old, a 12 year old, and a 15 year old. Beautiful. Amazing. Yeah. Do they get along? Sometimes. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been traveling more and the business is getting bigger and and better and more exciting and it's finally at the point of being profitable and now you just got me so excited to figure out what's between where I am now and the next step up the stairs like what is the baby gate that's getting in my way yeah and you know what if you work with someone to look at what's going on in your brain look at your thinking all of a sudden, those barriers go down. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, your r- road gets smoothed out and you are able to take that runway with a lot greater speed and your liftoff is a lot easier. I used to consider it, up until talking to you, I used to consider it like the cement highway barrier. Ah, but now it's that. just downgraded to a baby gate. <laughs> I might Cement trip over barrier, it, but I can man. get to the next step. <laughs> man, if you think about it that way, it's impossible to get through. Oh, it is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Oh my gosh. I have to share with you, I have, I use teamwork with my team and I have a board on there called Chronic Idea Disorder. And it's not actually about the book. It's just all the ideas that come up in my brain all the time. And there have been a couple projects in there. Well, I already shared it. There's been projects that I've been wanting to work on. And now, oh, oh my gosh. Okay, listeners, I feel like I'm just rambling now. <laughs> I want to invite you listeners, though, to go to thekimsutton.com forward slash PP510 and leave your comments for this episode. And then I'll want you to come back and listen into the next one into the follow up because there will definitely be a follow up. I wish I could give you what that episode will be right now. I just don't know because we need to get out of the calendar, especially with New Orleans and, and my travel. But Wow. Kim, this has been completely eye-opening and we are just getting started. Where can listeners learn more about you, connect with you and your team and and just begin with you? So the best way to find out more about us is to go to frameofmindcoaching.com. There's tons of stuff there, articles, blogs, podcasts, audios, all kinds of things. So just, you know, do your research and Go wherever you want to go and read whatever you want to read. In addition to that, on the website is an invitation to sign up for a complimentary coaching call. And I encourage you to do that. Why? Because you'll have the opportunity to do a little bit of journaling, answer some questions, but that journaling will be the seed of that coaching call. So take us up on it. It's free. It doesn't cost you anything. And so many people have shared with us that that call alone has been exactly what you described, completely eye-opening, sometimes transformational, and have has often set people off on a completely new path, one that's easier lighter, brighter, happier. So take us up on that offer. You've got me totally inspired. Like, I I don't even know how to follow that up anymore. I'm even thinking about a solo (laughs) episode called The Baby Gate, you know, like what's getting in our way. But I mean, I don't even, that's just going to have to wait until after our next call. I think you should call it the brick wall. The brick wall? Yeah, for sure. Because people feel like they all have a brick wall in front of them. Mm -hmm. And they're banging their heads against it. And you know what? Blood is pouring down and their heads hurt. So many people are in that state. Oh, yeah. I was there last night. 
There you go. <laughs> yeah. This has been completely incredible. I cannot wait till our next chat. Until we get to our next chat, do you have a parting piece of advice or a golden nugget that you would like to share with the listeners? Yes. Guys, grab a piece of paper and a pen. I'm going to give you three journaling questions to work with. And if you're really courageous, send them to me and I will hook you up with one of our incredible team members to go through it with you. So get ready. Question number one, what do you really, really want? And I'm using two reallys because I want you to think about what you really deeply, truly want, not what someone else wants for you, not what you think you should want, not what is expected of you, but what do you truly deeply want? Next question is what would your life be like if you didn't ever have what you really, really wanted? Would that be okay with you? And question number three is, so why don't you have what you really, really want right now? What's getting in the way? Write down all the reasons. And again, if you're courageous, send it to me, Kim at frameofmindcoaching.com. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Positive Productivity Podcast. When I'm not podcasting, I'm supporting six to seven figure business coaches with their marketing automation and entrepreneurs like you through my coaching and mastermind programs. I want to invite you to visit thekimsutton.com to learn how I can help you take your business to the next level. Bye.